Happy Sunday morning, and welcome to Sunday Coffee, Art, Design, and Architecture. This show is coming to you from Florida on a gorgeous Sunday morning overlooking the gentle lapping waves on the Gulf of Mexico. My motivation for this podcast channel is to broadcast good news stories, interesting people, and food for thought. So pour yourself a nice hot cup of tea or coffee, take a deep breath, get cozy, and enjoy a break for some uplifting conversations. Today's book is Don't Shoot the Dog by Karen Pryor, The Secrets to Changing Behavior in Pets, Kids, and Yourself, published by Simon & Schuster, reprinted in 2019. And today's guest to discuss the book is Ken Ramirez. Hi, Ken. Welcome to the show. Hi, Trisha. Thanks for the invitation. Glad to be here. Uh, so, Ken, let's uh, start with, can you tell the audience a little bit about Karen Pryor and yourself? Well, sure. Well, Karen is um, a scientist with a, a very wide reputation. She sort of uh, came up through the ranks in two different fields. She was a marine biologist and she was a behavioral psychologist. And what she ended up doing is she began working with dolphins in the 1960s. And and that experience led her to realize that behavior modification, training, teaching were all very similar. And she began using force-free animal training methods with the dolphins. And then she ended up writing a book on how to nurse your baby. She ended up writing a book on how to play Frisbee with your dog. She ended up really looking at behavior and she didn't have the prejudice or the, the, the filter that said, oh, that's a child. I'm going to treat that different than, than a dog or than a horse or than a dolphin. And she realized that learning was all the same. And so uh, she really became a pioneer in the field of positive reinforcement training and particularly in the field of bringing positive reinforcement to the dog world and bringing positive reinforcement to to people training and to human training. And so that's really who she was. And she developed a company. First, she developed a publishing company called Sunshine Books. And then after that, she developed a a bigger organization called Karen Pryor Clicker Training. And that organization is one that uh, uh, helps teach people to become professional trainers. Uh, We certify trainers. um, And we have a number of different conferences and publications that help bring the skills of positive reinforcement to real world applications. I got involved with with Karen. Well, I've known Karen for a long time. I also was a dolphin trainer and so became very familiar with some of her books on working with dolphins. But I encountered her many, many years ago, and she was a great mentor to me. Uh, I particularly appreciated her book, Don't Shoot the Dog. And well, I know we're going to talk about the book in in more detail in a second. But uh, I started working with her on some of her national positive reinforcement conferences and teaching people about positive reinforcement. And uh, gosh, almost, uh, gosh, it's almost been 10 years now, 10 years ago, she celebrated her 80th birthday. And on her 80th birthday, she reached out to me and asked if I would be interested in taking over the reins of her company and helping guide her company into the next into the next century, into the next wherever wherever it would go next, and so I uh, 
came on board and 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 over the last 10 years she has quietly uh taken a back seat and is now comfortably in retirement in california and uh is uh, allowing me to sort of continue to help move her company in new directions and help bring positive reinforcement and the idea of positive reinforcement uh, to people who want it and people who are interested in it. Well, okay, I'm a disclaimer. I'm a dolphin. I was a dolphin trainer too. <laughs> Excellent. And yes, oh my gosh, this dates me, but it's about a little over 30 years ago. My uh, supervisor, Robin, at the Gulf Ferryman in Fort Walton Beach said, you have to read this book, Don't Shoot the Dog. And I'm like, okay. And it changed everything for me. I, how I thought about dolphin training and people, um, et cetera. It's just, it's a phenomenal book. It is. It is a phenomenal book. And what a lot of people don't realize is that Karen did not write it with the idea of that, that dolphin trainers or dog trainers would read it. She really was trying to help promote the idea of positive reinforcement with people. And, um, and it just so happens that one of the things that she talks about is there's lots of ways of getting rid of unwanted behavior. And in her book, she goes through these eight different ways that you can deal with unwanted behavior. And she starts off with the shoot the dog technique saying, you know, if you have a dog that barks all night, you could shoot the dog and it will get rid of the problem. But you don't have to use that technique. There are other ways to get rid of problem behavior. And the publishers at the time grabbed onto that phrase, don't shoot the dog. And that became the title of her book. But when when she was first trying to sell the book and get the book published, she hated that title. She didn't want them to use that title because she wanted people to recognize that this was a book about teaching people. She has examples in the book about a roommate that leaves their clothes all on the ground all the time or a, a child who, you know, a variety of different challenges. And she's just showing that the behavioral techniques work, whether you're working with your dog, your child, your spouse, or any anything, anybody that has behavior, you can change that behavior through positive reinforcement. Yes. And I'll tell you, you know, that book, I was also taught swimming and I used it beautifully on my swim classes. And, and even as a portrait photographer, it was like, I used it training my employees. Everybody's like, so what do you use psychology for? I'm like, you would believe the things I could, uh, it, this has helped me with. It, it, it's so true. It's, it's, it's helped me become a better manager and a better supervisor. I think the challenge that people have is often when people get into leadership positions, you know, whether it's becoming a parent or becoming the principal of a school or becoming the chief of surgery in a hospital, usually in a lot of those positions, you are promoted because of your technical skill set. You're a good surgeon, so you become chief of surgery. You're a good teacher, so you become a principal. But nobody ever taught you how to be a good manager. And, um, and so learning these techniques, you realize that the same techniques work, whether you're working with your child or your spouse or anybody, you really learn that it's really about positive reinforcement. It's about finding what motivates people and being able to motivate them the right way. But I think what happens for many of us growing up is we're not surrounded by good role models in that way. Most of our parents, our teachers, our coaches, et cetera, 
teach by yelling and saying don't and stop and quit and that's not right and we grow up with this idea that the way to teach is to constantly be correcting people but realistically that often makes learning process not very much fun it can cause you to become unmotivated and uninterested because you you feel like you're always doing something wrong and what Karen really talks about in Don't Shoot the Dog is, yeah, there are, you can use punishment, you can use these aversive tools to get rid of behavior, but gosh, wouldn't it be nice if you were able to do it with positive reinforcement with by changing the motivation and moving people in that direction? And that's what this book is really about. And it's it was very, very inspirational for me as a young dolphin trainer, and it became very inspirational for me as a, a a teacher and as a supervisor and manager as well. And I will say, yeah, you know, uh, there was a gentleman at a going away party. Just, I didn't know him. And he goes, at least he didn't have the ego. And he said to me, he said, you know, I'm getting ready to get my PhD, but I don't know how to teach. And I looked at him, I thought, oh, you've run the right person. And I said, you know, don't let the title of this put you off. It's called Don't Shoot the Dog, but this is a great book. And I, Key Largo is a small community. I saw him in Publix across the way. And he yelled out to me. He said, I got the book. He goes, you can see the light bulb just went off in his head. He goes, that's a great book. And he's like, I'm like, oh, yay. There's another professor, teacher going off to teach a great class. And and how that this um, is such great. Okay, so I'll stop talking. I got a question for you. What is positive reinforcement? <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, positive reinforcement is just the 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 following up of a behavior with something that the animal or the person likes. So when you do a task, for example, and someone says thank you, that could be positive reinforcement, especially if it means that that person's likely going to do it again. But not everybody is going to be motivated by a simple thank you. But when you become a supervisor, for example, you you might see a person do a job well done. And what they want to hear from you is, hey, that was really good job. You did that really, really well. That can be motivating. Um, but for other people, it's going to be um, assigning them a new task. Or for other people, it's like, hey, you got this project done early. Why don't you take a couple of days off? Different people get motivated by different things, but it's those things that motivate people and motivate animals that is what you use to reinforce behavior. You reinforce behavior by following it with something that the animal likes, and that's called positive reinforcement. We are giving the animal or the learner something that they really want, that they desire, as a consequence for doing this job so well, for doing this task correctly. And oftentimes what you find when you look at old style schools of management is we, we teach people, you know, winning through intimidation and nice guys finish last. And we get these, this concept that we're supposed to be domineering and forceful and push our agenda on people. But what you find is that you can gain cooperation through positive reinforcement by letting people know that you appreciate the good work they do by letting them know that you've, they've done something really well. And so that's the essence of positive reinforcement is by giving the animal or giving the person something they desire in return for having done a task really, really well. And, and it's, it's an amazingly powerful tool. And 
And it's one that I've seen work really effectively with, with animal training, with child training, with people training, with relationships. You know, when you think about the relationships in your life and you think about your good friends, why are they good friends? And if you think about it, you say, well, because they're nice to me or they're funny or they're fun to have a beer with or um, they, you know, they, they make you feel good about yourself. You think about all these different things and it's because they use positive reinforcement. It wasn't done in a clandestine way. It wasn't sneaky. It's just you enjoy being in their presence presence because they reinforce you. And if you think about people that you don't like and you ask, why don't you like them? Well, they're condescending. They're mean. They're whatever. You put all the list of reasons you don't like people. And it's because when you're around them, you don't feel good. They punish you. They, they, they make you feel bad about yourself. And you, you, you don't realize how much reinforcement and its, and its, ad, its opposite punishment affects you every day. And, and it's the people that know how to use reinforcement well that really gain friends, influence decisions, uh, and makes things easier and happier and more fun to do. Okay. So that's my next question. What is, because people don't always understand this, what is negative reinforcement? I, you know, it's something that a lot of people don't understand, but the way I would describe it to someone is it's something that makes behavior stronger, but they're doing it because you're trying to get away from something. So um, the, the spouse who starts doing a chore regularly because they want to get away from the nagging of this of their of their spouse that the behavior got better but it got better because they were wanting to avoid something they didn't like and so that's that's the example of negative reinforcement it's uh it's uh trying to get away from a bad event get away from something you don't like to get away from something that you might consider punishing so you do this to escape the punishment to escape the aversiveness to escape the bad thing. And so that's what negative reinforcement is. It's a concept in psychology that I don't usually use when I talk to people who aren't into training because it, it's, it sounds like an oxymoron. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's the way a lot of people get things done. You know, that's why you hear a teacher say, if I've told you once, I've told you a thousand times. Well, if you had to tell them a thousand times, your, your instructions might, might not have been very good or they weren't reinforced for doing the behavior. And so that's that's an example of negative reinforcement. Okay. So the next obvious question is, okay, so um, what's punishment then? Punishment is something, you know, if you really wanted to, to narrow down to a really simple explanation, reinforcement is something that makes behavior stronger. And punishment is something that makes behavior weaker. When reinforcement is used, it makes it more likely that the learner is going to do whatever behavior they just did again. And when a punisher is used, it makes it very likely that the, that the, the, the learner will not do that behavior again. Punishment decreases behavior and reinforcement increases behavior. So if you're trying to look for more, for, for a, you see a, a, a student, a learner, an employee do something well, you should reinforce them and it's more likely that they will do it again. Thank them, compliment them, let them know that they did a good job and they're more likely to do that behavior again because it was reinforcing to them. 
Okay, now I know this gets a little bit into um, animal training versus kind of human training, but a lot of people will probably be familiar with Pavlov's dog. So there's that kind of conditioning. How? What is operant conditioning then? Well, the, yeah, the the difference in the two is that. Uh, there's what's called operant conditioning and classical conditioning. And classical conditioning is sometimes referred to as Pavlovian conditioning because that's what Pavlov did with his dogs. I'm going to, this is not exactly how Pavlov did the experiment, but I'm going to simplify it so all of everybody listening can really follow it. He would ring a bell and he'd give the dog some meat. He'd ring a bell and he'd give the dog some meat. He'd ring a bell and give the dog some meat. After several repetitions, the dog would salivate when he heard the bell, they weren't consciously saying, ah, I heard the bell. I think that means I'm supposed to salivate now. Instead, it was a subconscious or an unconscious reflex. And that's what Pavlov's dogs were all about was understanding that reflex that happens. It's still learning, but the dog isn't making those decisions consciously. On the other hand, operant conditioning is about this is something that B.F. Skinner pioneered and learned about, is that if you follow behavior with uh, something that the animal really likes, they are likely to do it again. So if I say sit and my dog sits and then I give my dog a treat or give my dog a toy or give my dog something he likes, chances are he's going to sit again. And so, but the dog makes that decision consciously. Oh, if I sit, he's going to give me a toy or he's going to pet me or he's going to play with me. And so operant conditioning is about making choices, about teaching an animal to participate in their learning. And they do so because they are hoping to get reinforcement as opposed to classical conditioning is about learning that happens subconsciously. Yes. And I, I think that that's very important distinction because People get kind of confused on that. And that leads to my my next really big part of this interview, I think, is, okay, so what is shaping? And how does that do with positive reinforcement? We got principles. We got we could talk about this for a long time, I think. Yeah, shaping is just a term that we use in the training world that is how we build behavior. Shaping is a process of teaching behavior to an animal. And we tend to be able to teach new things to an animal or to a person through small baby steps. You first teach the first step and you teach the second step and it eventually builds into a finished behavior. And so shaping is the process of doing that. If I, if you wanted to teach your dog to go and lay on, on its bed, um, one way to do that is it, when the dog walks near his bed, you toss them a treat or toss them a toy. And all of a sudden the dog goes, every time I come near the bed, I get a toy. Then you begin waiting for the dog to step on his bed. And then you give him the toy and slowly, but surely you gradually move them to actually lying down on the bed. That is called shaping. It's small steps that lead to the eventual behavior. And it's the same way I was taught when I was in school, I was being taught. I, I, was in track and field. I, I ran across country. I ran a number of, but I, I was taught 
a variety of skills like how to do a high jump or how to do whatever, you learn these things in small steps. You First, you do one, the easy thing, and then you do the next harder and you make it more and more difficult. And it's just a way of teaching. Shaping is just teaching, um, but it's usually done without words. And so you find a way of showing an animal and demonstrating to an animal or building a behavior through this process that's called shaping. Could you give us um, a human example um, in a, in a teaching situation? Well, well, sure. Um, you know, when I teach people all the time, I do a lot of classes on training. But when I bring my students in, I don't expect them to be able to become, a, let's say, a master chef on day one. Well, why not? Well, because they don't have the skills yet. So. I would shape them and approximate them toward the process. So I might first teach them uh, how to use a knife and how to cut carrots and how to cut celery and make sure they understand about knife safety. And that would be my first step. And then I might get to the next step, which is about storage and how to put it in a container and where to store it and what temperature to store it in. And then I might get to the point of teaching how to saute or put it in a pan and how to use those pans. And you build those skills gradually so that they become expert in each one of those skills. Obviously, when I'm doing it with people, I have the ability of using verbalized human communication, but I'm still shaping them toward becoming a chef. But that might be many years down the road as they learn and gain experience. It's these small steps that you take that lead to that eventual result. Now, one of the things I've always thought was fun in her book, I, I like it's called the training game, um, where they have a person and a group be the quote animal and a person be the, the trainer. Could you talk about that and how that works? Sure. It's a game we play a lot with animal trainers because so often, you know, it's easy to understand the learning process when we talk about it with humans and we we talk about explaining skills. The shaping game or the training game allows us to teach the animal something, the, the learner, the, the person who's pretending to be an animal. And when I say pretending to be an animal, they don't have to take on the characteristics of a dog. They are themselves. But what they are doing is there's no talking allowed. So me as the teacher cannot tell you what to do. I have to figure out a way to communicate that through reinforcement. And so one of the things that, uh, Karen was a really strong proponent of, and one of the reasons her company is called clickertraining.com it's, it is, is that we use a, a little toy noisemaker called a clicker. There's nothing magical about a clicker. You could use a whistle. You could use a word like good. You could do anything you want. But the clicker is a great communicator because it it's how we teach an animal that something is good. So early on, we click the clicker, give the animal a treat or give the animal a toy. And pretty quickly, the animal learns, hear the click, I get a treat. Well, then by playing this training game, you learn that whenever you do something that earns a click, you come over and get a treat. And so what we do when we play the game is the teacher sits back and watches the learner, the other person walk around the room. And if I wanted to tell to get my learner to go sit in a specific chair, I might, as we play the game, they will walk around the room. And as they approach the chair, I click and give them a, a reinforce, a treat of some type. Um, and 
the learner goes, oh, the click we already know means good. And I was standing near these chairs over here. Let me go closer to the chairs. And I click again and I give them a treat. And they go, oh, I bet he wants me to sit in the chairs. And they sit in a chair, but it's not the chair that I wanted them to sit in, so I don't click. They, they, they look around and go, hmm, that didn't earn me a click. Maybe I'm supposed to sit in this chair. No click. Maybe this chair. Then I click. That's how we would approximate them to getting in the right chair. But that game helps teach learners how to communicate without gestures, without words. And that's how animals learn is we, we aren't able to tell them, I want you to go sit in this chair, but we can communicate through the clicker. And so the clicker becomes an excellent form of communication. And it, it all works because of the science behind it. You have paired the click with food or with a toy or with something the animal really likes. And now that click becomes a way of letting the animal know when they've done something well. And by using it accurately, you can begin to build behavior. And that's the way we often teach animals how to do a variety of different things. Well, that reminded me too. I, um, I'll give you a break a second. I was teaching a swimming class and, um, it, to me, it demonstrated just how powerful it is. I had some beginners and I only had one rule just so I could keep up with them. Just, just keep one hand on the side of the pool at all times. And of course I looked back, I take them out one at a time and this one little boy was doing it and there another rest of them were doing it. And I very quietly looked at him and I said, I want to thank you for doing as I asked to keep your hand on the side of the pool. I really appreciate that. And he had thought the other kids weren't listening they turned around and they slapped those hands on the side of that pool and looked at me. And I just went, Mm-mm. I, I didn't respond. I, I almost laughed. I had to look away and I took the kid out. I took another kid out, took a kid. They were watching me. They were like, Oh, she's going to say something like, Mm-mm. and then after a couple kids went out, I, they were all still had their hand on the side of the pool. I said, now I want to thank all of you for keeping your hand inside the pool. That was, that was very good. Thank you for doing that. You'd have thought I'd put cement on those hands. I never had a problem again for the rest of two weeks with them keeping their hand inside the pool. And I was like, I think, wow, just how powerful, just a little simple way and not, not yelling at anybody, just one simple reinforcement can be. It's a very powerful tool and people don't, people are so quick to want to punish and yell at somebody for not putting their hand on the pool when realistically if you can just reinforce the desired behavior, you get much, much better responses. And there isn't any negative feelings, people that are angry because you yelled at them or people that feel belittled because you said something bad about them. It's really about finding those key moments to reinforce the behavior you're looking for. It's a very powerful. And we have there's so much evidence to show how good it is and how well it works. Do you have any examples like that um, in your own personal life of using positive reinforcement, et cetera? I, I have, I don't even know where to begin. It's, it's what I, I've been doing this my whole life now. And so, but I, what I can share with you, what, what maybe is more enlightening to people is even though I had learned the skills of how to use positive reinforcement, I hadn't been modeled. I hadn't seen examples of it being used with people. So when I first became a manager, 
while I would use positive reinforcement with the animals that I worked with, I still found myself correcting and yelling and telling people when they were doing things wrong. And it took me a while to recognize that, that, that the, the tools work the same with people. We just have to figure out how to apply it. In other words, with my dog, I might toss them a treat or I might toss them a toy. With my employees, a treat or a toy isn't what they want, but they are going to want some kind of verbal praise. And so the biggest challenge for a lot of people is recognizing that using it with people just means finding reinforcers that aren't necessarily about giving a toy or giving a treat. You're looking for verbal communication and verbal ways of providing reinforcement. And what you begin to see is that it makes a huge, huge difference in in people's comfort level in the workplace, uh, in people's productivity level. You see it change in so many different ways. And when you talk to those to individuals who work in those kinds of positive environments they're the kind of people that look forward to their work they enjoy their work they don't they have low stress people that work in more aversive coercive environments they still work well they do their job well but they call in sick a lot they they have more incidents of ulcers they have more more problems because of the fact that uh, there was so much of punishment and averse aversive tools used that they that they don't end up liking their job. I, I know so many people who hate their job, but go to it because they have to make a living. While there are other people that I know who love their job, and they're the kind of people who, when it's time to retire, don't want to retire. They want to keep working because they enjoy it so much, because there's a lot of reinforcement that comes to them from the workplace, from the job that they do. We know that kind of, I remember I was watching a video about Princess Diana, the from Britain. And I remember her saying something very distinctly in her interview. And she said, I always hear it if I do something wrong. And I never even get just a small pat on the back when I do something well. Yeah. And I thought, wow. Yeah. The Ken Blanchard, who wrote the book, The One Minute Manager, he, uh, he contacted some people in the in the marine mammal training world. And, and they, together, they wrote a book called Whale Done. And in it, they talk about the power of positive reinforcement in the workplace. And they refer to what Diana was talking about. Uh, they talk about managers that work that way and they call them seagull, seagull style management. They swoop in and crap all over everybody and telling them how terrible they are and swoop out again, as opposed to coming in and telling people what they did well, what they did right. And, Yes, you remember when people told you that you did something wrong, but it, it can become very discouraging. It can become very um, – and the problem with just telling people that it's wrong is that you didn't give them any alternatives to tell them what was right. And one of the great things about positive reinforcement is is not to come in and say that was wrong and walk away, is to come in and say, hey, you know what? Let me show you a way that will help you get this job just job done faster or get this job done more efficiently. And then when they do it, you tell them that was excellent. That was well done. And you begin to see their productivity and their ability to get the job done increases dramatically. And those are the kinds of things that Karen writes about and don't shoot the dog. Yeah. You know, I, um, I applied that I had a photography studio and I had an assistant every summer and I would train them just little bits at a time. Uh, 
we go to, first of all, we just go to a wedding. Then we just do it. And I would train him really slow. And boy, I'll tell you what, once I trained him, I could just let him go. I, I didn't have any of the errors or anything like that. They were well-trained and, and on their way. And it was so, you know, I hear a lot of people in the workplace like, well, I don't know if I want to take time to train people. I'm like, you really should because boy, once it's learned, it's done. And, um, wait, wait, let me go on. What about stimulus control? Let's talk about cues. We'll go back to pets a little bit. What's okay. a cue? What's a stimulus control? All, all um, stimulus control is a fancy word for a cue. And a cue just simply means this is a set of instructions that say, would you please do this? And so, for example, you might teach your dog to sit when you say the word sit. Well, then sit becomes the cue that tells the animal that this is that you want them to do that particular behavior. Or you might teach them a hand signal. The hand signal becomes a cue that says, this is the time that I want you to sit or lay down or come to me or, or do whatever. That's all that it is. In fact, you generally can't consider something to be a trained behavior unless the animal will do it on cue. Um, that's when it's considered trained. In other words, when you can say to your dog, sit and they sit, when you can say to your dog, retrieve and they go get something when you can give some signal that they recognize means to do a behavior and they can execute that behavior correctly that's stimulus control that's a cue that's what you tend to try to teach and it's no different than in the workplace you want to be able to if you give your employees instructions they can carry them out that's giving them a cue giving them a signal explaining what you want them to do well, I liked it in her book. She talked to about, I played flute. I was in a band about, it was simply about uh, conductors and how good they are at giving cues. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, yeah, they are. Well, part of what, part of what makes training work is having good timing, being able to reinforce behavior at the precise moment. And one of the things that conductors are good at is timing. The music sounds the way it sounds because you play the right notes at the right time. And so for the person who doesn't play an instrument, they may not understand why that person is in front of the band waving their arms around because it doesn't mean anything to them. But to the person playing the flute, the violin, the whatever in the orchestra or in the band, they're paying attention to the cues that the, the conductor is giving that says, now is when you come in and this is when it, you crescendo and make it louder. This is when you do such. The, the conductor is using a variety of cues that not only cue, cue players when to start, when to stop, but when to increase in speed or increase in volume. All of that is being controlled to a certain extent by the conductor. And it becomes these very well-timed cues that help make a bunch of separate individual instruments come together and sound harmonious and sound beautiful. That's it's the same kind of thing. And that's what we're doing when we train. It may not be music, but you are cueing animals to do specific behaviors at specific times. And that's when people say, Oh, your dog is so well behaved. Oh, look at your dog is so, you know, whatever. It's because that dog has learned a variety of cues. They respond to them well. And, you end up with uh, a well-behaved dog because they understand cues. The timing is good. And it ends up being a thing of beauty. 
Well, let me ask you now. I like this part of the book too. It's how do you get rid of unwanted behavior? The way you get rid of unwanted behavior, the the traditional way would be to punish. You punish unwanted behavior and it goes away. But what happens when you use punishment? The science will tell you that it works because it does. You often get resentment from the person or the dog or the animal that you punished. They might act out and display with aggression or other kinds of things. For those of us that are positive reinforcement trainers, the problem with punishment is that it doesn't help an animal understand what it is you want them to do instead. And oftentimes when the mistake that so many people make is their dog does something they don't like and they want to hit the dog or say bad dog. But generally speaking, dogs don't misbehave out of malice. They don't misbehave out of anything other than they're just being dogs. And this is what they know how to do. And so if instead of being upset with them and punishing them, you instead teach them an alternative behavior. You know, if you have a big dog and you and you walk in the house and the dog jumps up on you and knocks your guests onto the ground, you want to say, you want to say, I don't want my dog jumping on people. That that's harmful, especially since I have a big dog. You could punish them. And poor dog was just trying to get attention and trying to greet the new people in the house, but instead they are punished for that behavior. They may not jump anymore, but they find that they don't like visitors. They don't want people coming in the house because it's because my 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 owner treats me badly. If on the other hand, instead of punishing that behavior, you say, you know what? If you go over there and sit on your bed, if you go and sit on your mat and wait there patiently, as soon as the visitors come in, we're going to come over and give you attention. We're going to come over and pet you. We're going to come over and give you what you wanted. That's why they were jumping on people. But instead of saying, bad dog, don't jump, what we do is we say, oh, you know what? When someone shows up at the door and rings the doorbell or knocks on the door or comes in, that's a cue for you to go to your bed and wait there patiently. And if you do that, we'll bring the guests over to you and let them say hello to you. And then you'll still get the same attention you would have gotten before. But instead of jumping, you learned that the best way to get attention and get petting is by sitting on your bed. So it's what we call teaching an alternative behavior. If you don't want the animal to jump on you, what do you want the animal to do instead? And teach them to do that. Replace the unwanted behavior with a behavior that's desirable and one that you can reinforce, whether it's begging at the table, digging up your garden, chewing your shoes, jumping on guests. All of these are just behaviors where dogs are trying to be themselves. So what you want to do is say, okay, how can I teach you a behavior that will replace this unwanted behavior and one that's okay with me, that's acceptable for me, that will give you the same pleasure. You know, dogs who want to chew your shoes, often it's about giving them a replacement thing, a a toy that's chewable that they can get the same satisfaction from and that you then reinforce for, for allowing them to do that instead of doing it with something else. And of course, it's also helpful if you don't make it difficult for them. I, you know, I've, I've, I've gone into people's homes and they said, you know what, Ken, I really want to teach my dog not to dig in the garbage. And I'll look at their home and I'll go, well, did you ever think about just putting your garbage can behind a closed door? Then they're not tempted to eat it. But so often people know, I want my dog to understand they should know better. 
<laughs> that's not the way dogs don't have a moral compass that tells them that digging in the garbage is bad. It smells good. They're going to go to it. If you put it in a place where they can't get to it, you don't have to go through a fancy training protocol. You just make it not possible for them to easily get to it. I'd say, you know, being the animal trainer was, but we had a dog, my mom's, my mom's dog, and she was a terrier. And finally, we just said, we just put everything up. At a certain point, it was just like, yeah, we just put it up. Then it, it took care of a lot of that problem. Absolutely. And doing that. Well, let me ask you, okay, because this is kind of, this is more of a um, uh, devil's advocate. So does this system, is it um, manipulative or uh, what do you have to say to people who say, well, this is just, you know, being controlling or Orwellian or manipulative? What, what do you say to that? There's nothing manipulative about positive reinforcement. It's the way all creatures learn. We wouldn't put on a sweater if it didn't make us feel more comfortable because it's cold outside. We know we're putting on a sweater, but that's a positive reinforcer. Because I don't want to be cold, I put a sweater on. Because I'm hungry, I go to the refrigerator and get me a snack. Because I'm tired, I go to the bed and lay down. Those are all positive reinforcers. We do things for positive reinforcement all the time. There's nothing manipulative about that. In fact, most of us have jobs. And why do we go to our jobs? Well, we might go to our jobs because we love our jobs. We may go to our jobs because we love the mission. We may go to our jobs because we like the people we work with. But there's also the as aspect that we get paid. And we get paid to do our job. And that payment then allows us to pay our rent and buy our food and pay for entertainment. We all operate in a world where we try to avoid things that are bad and we look for things that are good. It's the way creatures, all living creatures were designed. We, manip we, we maneuver through the world looking for things that satisfy us and avoiding things that don't. We avoid the punishers and we look for the reinforcers. And there's nothing manipulative about it. And there's nothing, it's not even secretive. You can be very open about the fact that I'm not going to secretly pay you for doing your job. I'm going to openly pay you for doing your job. And I will openly tell you when you've done a good job. And you'll feel good about that. And you become friends and you say, I like that. For whatever reason, people mis mistakenly believe that their dog should obey them and do these things just because they love them. But I would say to people, why do you believe your dog is more evolved than you are? We don't operate that way. We won't go to a job and go do our work just because it's doing a good service for mankind. You don't have to pay me. I mean, sometimes there are some of us who volunteer our time at a shelter, volunteer our time for things, and we do it because it makes us feel good. But generally speaking, most jobs we go to because they pay us. And even when you do a job because it makes you feel good, that is a reinforcer. You go to the shelter and help serve the homeless people because it makes you feel good. You like watching and seeing people feel satisfied. You help. Those are reinforcers. Everything we do, we tend to do either to gain reinforcement 
or to avoid punishment. It's just the way behavior works. It's actually a science. That is the way all of us operate. We may not like it. We might like to think that that it doesn't matter, but it does. It matters to all of us. Why would we keep drinking something that we don't like the taste of? Why would we wear something that we're not comfortable with? And some of us do. You know, I know people who wear high heels who don't like the high heels, but they feel like it makes them look better, but they, they, t- they don't like it. And eventually, as soon as they get home or don't feel like they have to be in public, they take those high heels off and put on something more comfortable. We always are looking for comfort. We are always looking for reinforcement. There's nothing that I would consider manipulative about that at all. It's just the way we're built. Yes, I agree. And it's about um, it's survival. Yes, it's the reason we survive. If we did not look for and cultivate food, we wouldn't survive. If we didn't nourish our bodies, we would not survive. It's our bodies were meant to be reinforced and we were built to try to avoid aversives or punishers. We don't, I have one more question. You know, I thought this was really interesting. Um, at the end of this book that I have, this was um, my edition's a little bit older on this uh, that I have here on my desk. And But she was talking about how um, opera conditioning can train people to be more creative. And I thought that was really interesting. Uh, can you talk more about that? Well, yes. I think what people don't realize is that – Oftentimes, in growing up, creativity is something that is either stifled or it's encouraged. And when you find that your creativity is encouraged, when you you do something you, in a unique way, you you draw something that's not normal, but your your mom or dad says to you, "Oh, that is so beautiful! I love that picture." Um, what ends up happening is you begin to get more and more and more creative. Karen actually did a study when she was working with dolphins that she called the creative porpoise. And that was a study in which she taught an animal that it would get reinforced if it showed her something new. And very quickly, the animal started showing lots and lots and lots of very creative behavior. Um, And so um, we see it in kids all the time uh, when parents are really strict and don't allow their kids to try new things. You find kids who maybe do certain things really well, but they're afraid to venture out of their comfort zone. And and for in some things, that's good. You don't want kids experimenting with everything. You don't want them going out and trying drugs and doing things that are going to hurt them. Um, and so oftentimes, raising children is a lot about finding ways to encourage creativity, but within limits. And uh, and you find that usually the way a dog grows up or a child grows up or a person develops, it's because of what's been reinforced previously. And so when you reinforce creativity, you get more creativity in return. And when you see a person become too creative or a dog becomes too creative and they're, they're, they're venturing outside where you want them to do, don't punish that, but instead redirect them toward another behavior that is acceptable and begin showing them the limits, showing them the boundaries. Um, it's very useful. It's a very useful way of teaching and, uh, and, and 
whether you're teaching a person or an animal, it, it works the same way. And that's why Karen's book, Don't Shoot the Dog, has a subtitle called The New Art of Teaching and Training. Yes. And let me ask you, do you ever give yourself a little pat on the back? You know, it, I do believe in reinforce in, in self-reinforcement, but I don't do it in the form of, I don't talk to myself and say, gosh, Ken, that was a good job. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and when this interview is over, I'm not going to go about, go and pat myself on the shoulder and said, I think you did good with that, Ken. But what is important to me is that I reinforce myself. Uh, uh, and, and reinforcement comes in many ways. I made sure that before I sat down and did this interview that I'm sitting in a comfortable chair. You called this, this morning talk uh, over coffee or tea. Well, I just happen to be someone who doesn't like hot liquids. And so I have instead an ice cold diet Dr. Pepper. And I know that's going to satisfy me. And that's what I'm drinking right now because that's reinforcing to me. And so what I always tell people to do is set your work environment up so that it's comfortable. Make sure that you have things that reinforce you so that your work environment is comfortable. You're enjoying what you're doing. I can get out, grab a drink. I can sit back and relax in my chair if I'm comfortable. And so I do set my work environment up and my play environment, my home environment up in ways that are going to be reinforcing for me, that are going to be satisfying to me so that when I come home from a hard day of work, I have those things around me that make me feel comfortable and so that I feel like I've done. And it's not so much that I'm thinking, well, I did a good job today so I can go sit in the comfy chair. The comfy chair is there for me every day, even if I didn't do a good job. But it is a way of setting up the environment so that good things, so that good things are available and makes the work that I do, the job that I do, the interactions that I have more reinforcing. I'm always thinking about that kind of a setup. And that's how I make it more, make it easier for a child to learn or a dog to learn as I set the environment up so that it's easy to be successful. I just love all this positivity. <laughs> Well, it, it is it's it is a way of life. It's it's about figuring out how to how to make things around you positive. And it doesn't mean that I don't have a bad day here and there. It doesn't mean that I might not slip up and get frustrated with somebody. It'll happen, you know. But if you keep reminding yourself, no, don't show that frustration to your spouse. Don't show that frustration to your kid. Don't let that employee see that you're upset. Find a way to channel it and gear them toward doing something positively. And what you'll find is that you get upset less and less. You find yourself not finding reason to be frustrated because you set up an environment that's happy and positive. And, 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 but it doesn't mean you're perpetually positive. There are going to be bad days, but you get out of them by having around you those things that make you feel good, that make you comfortable, that make you happy. Yes. And I love that. That's a great point. Well, Ken, I have, well, my reinforces my cup of tea here. You've got, what do you have today? I have a, a, a an ice cold diet, Dr. Pepper. Oh, okay. <laughs> that sounds good. Well, my glass is about empty. Um, and this has been a great conversation. Um, and I know we've taken up a lot of your time, but I really appreciate it today. Um, could you tell the audience a little bit about maybe your next new project? 
You know, I I always have a lot of projects on the horizon. Uh, our company, uh, Karen Pryor Clicker Training, is always putting out new books or putting out new courses. Uh, but one of the new projects I'm involved with, I'm because I'm a, a I'm real passionate about animals and I'm real passionate about about conservation. And one of the projects that uh, is a new project I'm working on right now is taking this information that we we just talked about this use of positive reinforcement and i'm working with uh governments in africa to try to curb poaching of elephants and one of the ways that we're doing that is we are teaching elephants to migrate new routes to avoid poachers and to help keep them safe and so it's just another use of this technology we're talking about animals in the wild but through the use of positive reinforcement we can teach them to go a new route to avoid poachers and thus it protects those elephants and helps them uh we've we've we're working with one herd right now that is um that was losing 70 animals a year to poaching and we have now had four consecutive years where no animals have been lost to poaching in that particular herd. And so that's a project that I'm actively involved on right now in right now. And we're looking at similar types of projects in a variety of places where animals and humans come into conflict with one another. And we are trying to find solutions for the humans and solutions for the animals so that they can cohabitate and not use each other's space and not get in each other's way, finding ways that that we can make that work better. So it's a big part of what I do. And it's, uh, it's, it's these conservation projects that are always exciting to me looking ahead and saying, okay, how can we, how can we find a solution to this problem? And often it is through the use of these behavior techniques, these use of positive reinforcement that can help shape and change behavior. So I, I look at it all the time, not just with my pets, not just with the people around me, but I look about it, look at it in society and say, how do we, how do we solve this problem using reinforcement? Oh, wow. That's fascinating. So interesting. Just with wild animals. Um, There's, you know, the, the, the use of positive reinforcement is really quite remarkable. And, you know, I feel like, uh, uh, sadly, our world is in troubled times. We've we've been dealing with the pandemic for several years. We've had political turmoil in our country, and I wish more people understood how positive reinforcement works. Because I believe that some of the political strife, some of the challenges to to the pandemic, a lot of that could be solved and could be made better with the use of positive reinforcement. But I don't want to go down that path because talking about politics or talking about the pandemic can be very controversial. So I'll just leave that seed there and let it let you think about that a little bit. But there are always ways that a lot of the conflict that we see in our world could be made better if we thought about how to change the environment and make the environment more reinforcing for people. Um, and for the for the, the the folks that are that are having difficulties, and I, I I think that's just something that we have to work toward, but that's a subject for another time. Well, well, maybe I'll just have to have you back. You have to write a book about it. <laughs> um, well, you know what? Can actually, I'd like for you to tell us how can people find this book and your organization? Yeah, you can uh, if you go to clickertraining.com, That's the that's the website for our company. Uh, if you're interested in the book, you can buy the book from our our 
our uh, our store online. Uh, there's lots of different books and all of the books, everything that we produce or sell in our company is all positive reinforcement based. And so if we're selling a book, it's because we've vetted it. It may not be a book that our company even publishes, uh, but we'll carry it if it's a positive reinforcement title and a, and a, and a book that really uh, looks at positive reinforcement. And there's really good books there about training people, as well as about training your dog, about training any kind of animal and using positive reinforcement. So clickertraining.com is the starting point, and you can find out about many of the things we do by look, clicking on the various tabs on that website that take you to a variety of things that we have going on. Okay, and she had the latest edition of the book is officially called because she has a few editions. Yeah, the the most recent edition is just it's still called Don't Shoot the Dog, uh, but the subtitle of the new edition is The New Art of Teaching and Training. But Don't Shoot the Dog is the only title that you need. Karen's written nine books, and and uh, that, this is just the one that's been most popular. She first published it in 1984, and it's still in print and still very popular all these years later so i think i read it in 1988 or 89 yeah i I got a hold of it really early as well well ken again thank you so much for being here today it's been a pleasure having you on and for all of you i'll tell you one more time it's karen Pryor. don't shoot the dog the publisher i have here is simon and schuster the latest reprint was 2019 and i want to thank all of you for listening here today on sunday coffee take care